This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for this show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. During the height of the global pandemic lockdown, Bacchusay was looking for a way to brighten the holiday season, especially once it was determined that, well, there weren't going to be any Christmas concerts in 2021. So they had created this Live from London festival. It was an online series that became one of the brightest musical moments of the pandemic lockdown. And that year, they put together a choral Christmas. It was never intended to be a CD. It was just going to be a video. But it was produced so beautifully, they thought, why not? Why not release this as a recording that you can listen to in your home? So that's what we're going to hear about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Locker. I'm talking with Barnaby Smith of Vachis 8. They have just put out a new choral Christmas recording, which was recorded back in 2021 as part of the Live from London online festival series during the COVID lockdown. Barnaby, thanks for joining me. And I'd love to hear the story of how this series was created. And I know this concert has some incredible behind-the-scenes stories as well. It does. First of all, thanks very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I mean, lockdown was difficult for everybody. I remember when it first happened, I was actually just completing an American tour with the group, and I'd gone up to do some skiing in Canada, which took us right up to the deadline, and I was on one of the last planes home. And landing, I thought... You know, as this news was coming out, well, maybe we'll be locked down for two or three weeks whilst this thing passes over. And of course, that turned into two or three months and then, well, almost two or three years, didn't it? But uh, the first instinct from us was to think, what can we do to still bring music to people's daily lives? So we begun in the first lockdown this project called Live From Home, where we committed to doing half an hour of interactive music making every day for the entirety of the first lockdown. You know, thinking it would be a short period, it turned into 110 days, I think, that we did something straight through. And then when it looked like it was this whole episode was going to last longer, we wanted to bring people something that was, you know, brought joy to their households when they couldn't go out and socialise and go to music. So we decided that we would start an online concert series, and that was called Live from London. And we're hugely fortunate as a group because we have a space right in the heart of the city of London next to St Paul's Cathedral called the Vaucher's 8 Centre, which is a beautiful Sir Christopher Wren-built church. It was the same architect that built St Paul's, and this little church was one of his sort of practice projects. So it's got this amazing acoustic, all of this history. And within it, we also have quite a lot of tech expertise in the group. So we had some idea of how we could go about broadcasting over the internet. And I have to be honest, originally when we came up with the concept, I thought this would be, you know, one camera, a couple of microphones. We'd point this camera, we'd sing some concerts and there'd be a few people out there who'd enjoy it. 
and we put this season of uh, the, the initial Live from London season online and the tickets sold instead of in their tens or hundreds in their multiples of thousands. And so the whole thing got quite big quite quickly. And so we specced everything up and yeah, we bought this concert series, which really has changed my life. It's changed the uh, Voch State Foundation's life and it's changed the group's life. And even now speaking three or four years later, something that gets said to me more often than anything else now at the end of a Voch State concert is we know you because of what you did during the pandemic. And to me, that means a great deal. And the CD that we're here to talk about today is part of that project. So in 2021, when we were coming to the second lockdown for Christmas, you know, everybody had hoped that in 2021 there wouldn't be a Christmas lockdown. We'd all be able to spend time with our families and loved ones. But the moment that it looked like the pandemic was still ongoing... I thought, okay, well, we need to do something that means that there'll still be joy in, in households this Christmas. So, you know, if it was me, what would I love? And the thing I always love at Christmas is singing carols. And essentially going to musical events that feel like a party. So we decided that a Pops concert would be a great thing to do. But with that, bringing a little bit of the more reflective side of Christmas. So we had um, things like readings and all that sort of stuff. And the, as the centerpiece for this project, I asked our great friend, American composer called Taylor Scott Davis, if he might create a new suite of carols. Now, I think we recorded this at the end of November. And the first email that I can find is, I think, the middle of October. <laughs> so this was... <laughs> in the planning for no more than six weeks. And there are six, seven, eight new call arrangements by Taylor. And that maybe sounds to people like, oh, it's an easy thing, you know, it's just setting oh, come, were you faithful? But this is a 50-piece orchestra, and this is a big choir. And I think the most striking thing when you listen to the CD is these are arrangements, sure, but they're actually recompositions. And he's created a suite of carols, which truly is a suite. They are incredibly diverse in terms of their structures, in terms of their sound worlds. And they're also incredibly new, vibrant and different and unique. And yeah, we brought it together in a, uh, a very short space of time. And uh, I got the scores two, three days before we we did this concert. And even in the sessions themselves, Taylor was there and we were rewriting little bits of the music because you know you have to appreciate from a composer's perspective he's got samples that he can play the music on but being there in the room and hearing it for the first time you're like well I've not ever had a chance to sit back and let these scores rest I've just had to write them and then bang they're there so having the opportunity to make changes it was it was really being written in the room and it was just a whirlwind and a fantastic experience. And what else did you have to do at that time, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, well, you know, this is one of the cool things. Like, I was chatting the other day to our engineer, Dave Heinitz, so the guy who essentially does the microphones and the mixing. And this concert was never meant to be a CD, it was supposed to be a Life in London video production. And the fact it's made it to this point as, a, as an audio product is testament to the wonderful quality of the playing and the musicians and everything. And Dave said, you know, he's 
part, part of the job from turning it from a film into a CD is it has to go through the mix process again. So he's probably got 40 microphones up in the room. And one of the also big advances since the time it was originally created is now we have what's called Dolby Atmos. So it's, it's a form of surround sound which also has um, a height element to it as well as a spatial element. So it has to go through the mix process again. And so Dave spent two or three days in his studio just listening to this music, remixing it. And uh, he said to me, the thing that struck him more than anything else when he was mixing was that you can genuinely hear how pleased people are to be sitting in the room making that music. Because this was at a time where there was no other work. So all of these musicians, normally in London, they're working five, six, seven days a week. Some of them go to Abbey Road and play a film session and then go into the West End and play a show in the evening. They're working six-plus hours a day. But at this time, they were working zero hours, hours every week. But this project gave us the opportunity to bring 80 musicians into a room, and you can hear the genuine sense of camaraderie, of just joy at being back together in the music making, and it's fabulous. And of course, this was still at the height of COVID, so how did you keep everybody safe in that situation? Yeah, and we had a few players, so the rules were constantly changing and shifting. Um, we had to have things like woodwind players uh, separated in a certain way, and even uh, on the day itself, players were, I think two or three people dropped because they tested positive. So trying to find other people um, to come in. And then, of course, in all the breaks, even though it was the height of winter, all the doors, we recorded it in a, in a church in North London, which is well known for its um, rec being a recording venue, not so well known for its heating. And uh, we had to have the doors open at every break. And, of course, the, when you consider what that does to the tuning of instruments and everything like that with the, with the, the change of temperature in the room, yeah, it was quite an experience. I started to listen to this recording and I was expecting, you know, the traditional Vaches 8 sound. All of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is a full chorus and a full orchestra. this all come together in terms of, are you calling this the Vachasate Foundation Choir? Yeah, well, so we have, uh, essentially when projects are a little bit bigger than eight voices, we welcome our friends. And in this instance, we have the Vachasate Scholars, who are eight young professional singers, who we offer an annual program to for continued professional development. And as part of that um, annual course as it were they will come and do some performing with us so this seemed like an ideal opportunity so we had the eight of them then we have a, a second vocal group under the Vodges 8 Foundation banner called Apollo 5 and we also welcome back some former members of the group and some of our friends I think the choir was about 28 strong in the end but really in, in order to bring music of the sort of scale of a pops type scenario having 
more than the eight singers is is very very useful but there's also tracks in the album which are a lot more intimate that so there's an indulci jubilo and a, a new commission by bob chilcott uh, which are just the eight voices of Vox's eight so you kind of get the best of both worlds i do want to talk about the individual pieces first though i wanted to ask you what it was like to conduct in this situation i mean Obviously, you got the scores at the last minute. However, you're working with some incredible musicians who pick up on these things. I'm sure, you know, in a day or two, they've got it down, hopefully. It sounds like it anyway. (laughs) But then you are at the center of it as it all comes to life. What's that like for you to be surrounded by that sound? It's an amazing thing. And, you know, I think the most important part of being a conductor is learning to listen and when I teach conducting you know in order for a conductor to be successful you have to get onto a podium which is a very lonely place to be (laughs) and you must have ideas because it's your job to direct the music so it's very easy to get into the situation where you pre-plan everything you know you see conductors myself included who heavily mark scores so that we really understand what's in the score and we really have a very clear idea of where we want the music to go so that we don't get up there and you know end up being lost for words and, and drown a little bit in the scenario but the flip side of that is it's very easy to get sort of tunnel vision to turn off your listening and just to try and move everything in the way that you've pre-planned what we really need to be able to do is have these ideas but then be flexible when we get up there to hear the music that's coming back at us so that the whole thing becomes a conversation and so I think the challenge for me here was that I had to get up there not really ever having had the opportunity to immerse myself in these scores. So I didn't have the the clarity of vision to start with that I might, if I was picking up a symphony, say. So it was very much music in the moment, and it was a real test for me. COVID generally was a huge test for conductors and musicians because of the spacing requirements. And of course, spacing musicians out means it's harder to hear and it's harder to manipulate and move music in the moment so there had to be a an extended trust essentially between everybody that everybody was listening as well as they could and you just had to be a lot more flexible with how things could move and so this was a very good learning opportunity but there's always something that's so moving as a director that you are there hearing music for the essentially the first time and you are the person who is able to put their stamp on that music for the very first time and it's then going to be a recording that other people might pick up and and listen to and build their own interpretations from and that's a, a hugely privileged position there are 15 pieces on this recording which were part of that concert more than half of them are world premieres so i want to start there and talking about the world premieres and you mentioned that you know, we have this kind of suite of carols that are all reinvented, if you will. Um, let's just kind of go through those carols, and could you tell me a little bit something about them that we can listen for that helps us to hear them anew? Well, the first thing I'd say is, as a suite, the thing I think that's so brilliant about them is they're all slightly different. So you can take Joy to the World, for example, which is going to be um, the opening track on the album. The thing I would listen for here is the fanfares. You 
you know, there's something for me about Christmas. In, in the UK, uh, a composer we associate very much with Christmas is John Rutter. Uh, he, and he is very well known for writing a good fanfare. And Taylor has sort of combined his love of John Rutter with his love of music for cinema. So you kind of get Rutter crossed with John Williams. And these fanfares, they are just startlingly brilliant. And I would couple that also with O Come All You Faithful, which is written in a relatively similar style. With those amazing fanfares, Taylor also reharmonizes in a cappella. Which is an exceptionally brave decision. So you got, I would call those two the firecrackers. But then by complete contrast, you've got his setting of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I think a lot of people envision O Come, O Come, Emmanuel as a very optimistic carol. Taylor's taken a, a very different view of it. And I think he benefits massively from the fact that he has a career in music for ministry. So he is a director of music at a very um, well-established church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he has a deep understanding of the sort of theological basis of all this music. And so he sets O Come, O Come, Emmanuel with a, a sense of trepidation. which is a very, I, I think, quite a unique stance on the piece. And he uses his ability as an orchestrator, because, you know, he's, rep he's represented on this album as an arranger. So arranging is taking someone else's tune, say, and creating a new idea with it. He's represented as a composer. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's also represented as an orchestrator. And I think orchestration is something that we often overlook in the world of music. It's taking the 50 musicians in an orchestra and creating an amazing sort of three-dimensional picture with them. So it's a little bit like having your watercolours there, but then actually it's a very different skill. Sort of mixing the colours to start with is a very different skill to painting them. And I think people always look at composition, the art of painting, as being the thing, but mixing the colours is a huge part of the process, and that's where the orchestration is. And if you hear how he uses the strings in Veni Emanuel to create such a different colour. I, I just think it's absolutely genius. Uh, from there, Silent Night and Away in a Manger, two more that I would pair. So we were hugely fortunate on this project to have an amazing violin soloist leading the orchestra, Jack Liebeck. Um, I mean, Jack is a world-renowned uh, concert soloist. 
Uh, he goes all around the world playing concertos. He's one of the greatest violinists in the world. In fact, I, I saw on his Facebook, he, he was uh, very successful in BBC Young Musician of the Year when he was a teenager. I saw a video of 12-year-old Jack playing some Beethoven sonata. Absolutely amazing. Um, Jack, of course, was available. And uh, he's a dear friend of mine. So he came and led the orchestra, which is unbelievable. And then stood out and played some beautiful solos, which you hear in Silent Night. And also in a way in a manger. And coming back to Taylor's bravery, Taylor used a way in a manger as the lullaby and he's removed the text. So he's created the whole thing as an orchestral color. And use the choir as an added texture without the text, which for me is very, very brave and well, with great risk comes great reward. So I think those two are, are standouts in their own way. Silent Night's a little bit straighter in terms of we'd expect to hear it like that if Vokshet was to sing it by themselves, but just with an orchestra, but Away in a Manger takes a real, a real risk. message arranged by Jim Clements. Tell us about that piece. Well, Jim is the arranger in residence for Vox 8. He's a friend of mine from university days, and he's probably now written hmm, well over 100 arrangements for the group in our 20-year history. Gabriel's message was one of his first, and it's an arrangement that's so successful that it's been taken by publishers and sort of taken out of its eight-part scoring and put into six-part scoring or four-part scoring so that choirs all around the world can sing it but this is the first time that it's been orchestrated um, so it's very very nice to have it in a new version the thing to particularly listen out for I think are the opening chords The traditional bass carol, the Angel Gabriel, is is in there nicely harmonised, but I think the thing that, that marks it out, and the reason people really love it as an arrangement, is because of these opening chords, which sort of give... He, he uses them between the verses to set up the emotion of the next verse. So when we sing, we actually have the words Gloria set to them, but the chords are set, uh, in this instance, in the orchestra, but people can appreciate how they're coloured differently in between each of the verses.
there is a five-movement Magnificat, which is the centerpiece of this concert. Written for Voces 8, right? Well, uh, I, I wish. Sort of. <laughs> sort of is the answer. So uh, we have a very good friend, Taylor and I have a very good mutual friend called Matthew Greer, who's director of music at a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, Matt asked Taylor to write him a Magnificat for a festival. But then um, we had the opportunity pre-COVID, actually, to do some sessions with full orchestra and choir. And so I asked Taylor if he wouldn't mind scoring this out for larger forces. So this is essentially a a world premiere of a, a new beefed up version, shall we say, of the Magnificat. And at the time, I'd known Taylor for quite some time, but as an as an ensemble, we'd not spent much time working on his music. We'd known him more as a as a concert promoter. We met him first of all by going to sing at his church. And this was pre-COVID, so I'm going to say summer of 2019. Um, and the idea was that we would record this piece, and then in 2020 we would record his mass setting, and it would go out as a CD, of course, those 2020 sessions. Never happened, for obvious reasons. Um, and again, I remember vividly getting the score and sitting on tour uh, in Germany, we had a very nice hotel in a, a small town in Germany. And all small towns in Germany have beautiful churches. It's just a thing. And I was sitting on this balcony of this very boutique small hotel, drinking a rather strong coffee with this massive A3 score. The sort of pages were blowing in the wind. Um, and I think they just thought I was a bit nuts. Um, flicking over and every page I turned, I couldn't quite believe how good the music was. Uh, I come back to this idea of Taylor as the orchestrator. There are five movements in this Magnificat and he makes it sound like five different pieces, yet together they hang so well. But the other thing that's absolutely brilliant about it is that what he does with the second movement. So coming back to this idea of his um, being a, a, a musician who works in, in ministry, he's reflected in movement two about how Mary may have felt when she received the news that she was to be the mother of Christ. So the Magnificat is a text that she sings, or she uh, said when she shortly after she found out she would be the mother of Christ. And Taylor has actually taken away the Magnificat text for an entire movement and replaced it with new poetry from the perspective of Mary, set for soprano solos, which Andrea from Voces 8 sings. got a solo horn in it which is a very difficult part to play it was played by a friend of mine but also a very brave choice from from the perspective of coloring a score to match a soprano with a horn it's a very brave thing to do there's obviously the oboe in there and the flute and those are those are more obvious um pairings with a soprano but to have the horn as well that's absolutely brilliant
There's another piece that was written especially for Vachis 8 by British composer Bob Chilcott, The Sleeping Child. You know, it's a good day when you get an email from Bob Chilcott that just says, Hey Barney, I just wrote this for you guys. <laughs> Didn't ask him. <laughs> he was obviously sitting at home twiddling his thumbs as we all were. And he decided to pen this carol. Bob's a brilliant composer. People may have come across Bob because he used to be in a famous vocal group called the King Singers. Uh, he's now a very well-respected choral conductor and composer. And the thing I think he matches brilliantly is... He writes a really good melody, but the music is never simple. And in this particular carol, he sets for soprano solo. So you have this very uh, sort of bare solo soprano voice with an incredibly sparse accompaniment to start with. up. It was just one of the greatest gifts that we could have received in COVID. I think when the world stops, it was very important that art didn't stop and creativity didn't stop and so to have the opportunity to bring a new piece to the world we're very grateful to Bob for that and then who was the soloist on this one the soloist on this one was Molly so you hear the other soprano voice in Voce's 8 and Molly is an incredible musician incredible singer she's grown up in the English choral tradition her father is actually the director of music at Exeter Cathedral and she's certainly by my standards young Uh, So when she recorded that, she would have been, I think, maybe just 22 years old. And that youthful sound in the voice is heartwarming, heart-wrenching even. That innocence. Innocence is exactly the word. Mm -hmm. This recording closes out with two fun-filled instrumental encores, which was a little surprising when I see a choral Christmas. Tell me why that was the right way to wrap up this uh, wonderful concert setting. Well, you know, I always say that it can't be Christmas for me if I haven't done a Messiah and I haven't done a sleigh ride. I think Leroy Anderson's sleigh ride. It just, for me, it's the sound of Christmas. So I, we had to get that in there. Um, and the, the piece before that is a great fun. It's called A Christmas Cracker. Which, when we put this out as a Live from London production, that the, the, it was the overture, actually, it's a Live from London production, which we called A Christmas Cracker. And it's by a great friend of mine, Thomas Hewitt-Jones. And Tommy was Fotcher's 8's first ever composer in residence. And to paint a, a little picture of Tommy, he was an organ, organ scholar at Cambridge University. And he was that organ scholar that 
always found it funny to do reharmonizations of the final verse of the hymn that normally got him in trouble afterwards with his director of music because he'd uh, slightly over-egged the pudding. And uh, in this particular instance, he decides to collect a lot of sort of well-known Christmas melodies and throw them all together into a little, a, a sort of omelette, a Christmas omelette. You know, find find all the little fragments of food that you've got in the fridge. Throw them all in the pan and fry it up together. And it provides a Christmas cracker, which is great fun. We, we want this disc to be something people engage with actively as listeners, but we also want it to be a sort of soundtrack for Christmas. And so having the sleigh ride but also having all of those little Christmas melodies just at the end as people drift off back to their uh, champagne or their sherry or whatever of their Christmas cake it felt like a nice thing to do you have been uh, filled with smiles and joy the whole time we've been having this conversation which tells me that Christmas is a, a special time for you it is and you know, coming back to what I was saying about these sessions, I just remember them so fondly because it was a special moment for all of us to be able to celebrate what it was to be together. And for me, that's what Christmas is about. And I, I hope in the album that there's something that represents Christmas for everyone because some people can be lonely, some people can be joyful, but really we all experience Christmas in our own way and we've tried to represent that through this album. Barnaby Smith, the co-founder, artistic director, and countertenor of the British vocal ensemble Vachis 8, talking about their new recording, A Choral Christmas. Thanks to Valerie Kaler. She's our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Amacher. <laughs> <laughs>